To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Good day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Monday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking breakfast on News Talk ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB, and this morning, um, Hipkins seemed to fall at the last hurdle when it came to um, dealing with the Nash um, self immolation. Uh, where is the best place to live in New Zealand at the moment? Uh, you'll be surprised. And Wayne Brown on road cones. But before any of that, uh, hey, so we missed out on a $5,000 COVID payment? Stink. Well, how about the revelations over the weekend, eh? Once again, in a Matt Hancock-type revelation, we learned that the government, in COVID, considered handing us all five grand. $5,000 for everyone. Like Oprah. You got a car. You got a car. You got 5000 They considered cutting GST as well for a couple of weeks, apparently, like a GST sale. Buy now while GST is low. As we sit here... This Monday morning, what almost certainly is a recession, given last week's 0.6 or 0.6 negative number, what they were trying to do was stave off a recession. Whoops. And they thought the way to stave off a recession was to close the borders and doing so strangle the economy, but flood it with cash, cash they never had anyway. Another part of the plan was to do it Prezi card style. The only thing that stopped them was they couldn't get the plastic in from China quick enough. Think about that. We, New Zealand... The eco-warriors in the middle of our nuclear moment, changing the world for the better through well-thought-through climate policy, wanted to import tonnes of good old Chinese plastic to toss money we didn't have at a country closed down. Is that comedy or tragedy? Or maybe a bit of both. The more we learn, the more Matt Hancock, uh, Hancockish it is. All this came about, by the way, uh, because despite what the Reserve Bank was doing, i.e. printing money to the tune of $100 billion and handing it to the banks to throw at us any way they wanted, the fear was that wouldn't be enough. Once again... Given the state of the economy we sit in this morning, can you imagine how much worse it would be today if these idiots had actually gone ahead with all of this? What was needed, and this is perhaps the most important lesson out of COVID and general crisis management, was experience and expertise and above all, great leadership. And they didn't have it. We have amateurs from unions and university and people who had barely any experience in government. I mean, sure, Jacinda was good at the hugs and the stuffed animals, but that was window dressing. Literally. Uh, The intellectual muscle was never there. No, in the end, it didn't happen. But it clearly was a live option, we found out. The danger of buffoons running the place cannot be overstated. We were a bad idea away from catastrophe. The other bad ideas landed us in the current mess. I suppose the ironic good news is it could have been worse. But what a gobsmackingly horrifying thought that is, eh? I would have been quite happy to uh, receive it in cash, um, just in an envelope. No worries. In fact, in many ways, that would have worked out better for me. I could have spent it on things and nobody would have known what I was buying with it. No no, no paper trail. Oh, well. Missed opportunity there. Uh, Hipkins missed the opportunity to completely boot Nash out. And so it, it all looks like it's sort of come to nothing, really, doesn't it? Jeez, I tell you what, the old Hivers honeymoon of Hawke's Bay and disaster politics for the PM is long gone, isn't it? I mean, there he was flailing away on Friday, lining up the decision on Nash for the weekend, looking to draw a line under it. So by Monday, i.e. today, i.e. now, we've all moved on. Well, sorry, Chris, we haven't. Among the many weaknesses of the previous Prime Minister was her inability to instill any real discipline in her people. You could essentially rob a bank and she'd find an excuse for you. In fact, ironically, the original sin of Nash on this programme, 2020, was under her watch. 
She knew the Solicitor General was looking at prosecuting and she must have known the Attorney General did the telling off. How come she didn't do anything at the time, eh? Because she was incapable of discipline. Hipkins is sadly clearly cut from the same cloth. Now, as much as I like Stuart, and as much as I think most of us get the fact he did what he did out of frustration, he broke the rules and broke them at least twice, if not three times. You either have rules or you don't. And in not sacking him, Hipkins become as big a villain as Nash. Hipkins is soft and or so short of proper talent, he can't afford to lose anyone. Most extraordinary part of the Hipkins explanation came when he stated that Nash claims he couldn't recall the Attorney General admonishing him for the original crime. That says either Stewart has brain fade, or David Parker's admonishments are so nondescript you might have thought you were there having a beer and a game of darts. If it's brain fade, then Hipkins' explanation that Stewart has assured him there is nothing else hiding in the closet is meaningless given who knows what he remembers or doesn't. Anyway, the upshot is Stuart lives to operate another day, and Chris Hipkins looks like a bloke who puts up with a lot, doesn't have any talent back up, and ends up looking like his predecessor. In the grand scheme of things, of course, this doesn't shift votes. It's, it's, it's beltway stuff. But it does build a case that has already got several worrying pieces to it, that when it comes to leadership and being a saviour for the government in election year, old Chippy from the hut ain't quite the rock star so many in the media fell over themselves. Trying to make him out to be. Yeah, it's a bit like, you know, those players that get yellow carded and then go before the judiciary and then they go, oh, actually, don't worry about it. It was fine. Sorry you missed some of the game, but you, you'll be playing again next week. Um, now, where is the best place to live in New Zealand? Uh, now, the, the, I've got a whole lot of problems with this list. Uh, and we'll come back, back to that in a minute. Listen to the list first. One of my favourite subjects is where do you want to live in New Zealand? If you could live anywhere, and this is because COVID's changed anything, if you could live anywhere in New Zealand and still do your job and get the same money, in other words, get the enjoyment and you know collateral out of that, but live in a place of your choosing, where would you live? Uh, there's, there's a ranking out this morning. I was going to start at 11. They did the top 11 regions in the country. They took out the metros. And they did the top 11 regions in the country. And as far as I can work out, there are only 11 regions in the country because number 11 is Northland. And they rank them on the cost of a house, GDP per capita, and the sunshine. So unemployment rate, housing affordability, GDP per capita, and sunshine hours. And by the time you get to region number 11, which is Northland, uh, unemployment rate's very high, comparatively. Uh, The housing affordability is not good, comparatively. The GDP per capita is very low, of course. The sunshine hours um, are okay, but not great. Compared to some of these. So we don't actually have a living... So is it, is it not the winterless north? No, it is not the winterless. Well, it's warm, but not sunny. There's a difference between warm and sunny, as I think we found out in the northern part of the country over the summer period. So number 11 is Northland. Number 10 is Gisborne. They do particularly well on housing affordability. Very, very cheap to live in um, in Gisborne. Not so good on the GDP per capita. Reasonably good on the sunshine. Then you come to Hawke's Bay. Now, Hawke's Bay rated lower than I would have thought. So Hawke's Bay doesn't... It's not not much chop. Is this recent, though? This is current. Mm. Current. Nelson Tasman comes in uh, at eight. See, these are ones you would have gone... If I go in best place to live in the country, you'd go, oh, Hawke's Bay, wouldn't you? you go, Hawke's Bay, wouldn't you? And you'd go, Nelson Tasman. Only nine and eight. So where's left? Number seven, Manawatu. Sunshine hours, not so good. No. No. Kidding. Unemployment, pretty good. Cost of housing, okay. Even better than that, though, Central Otago. Now, Central Otago is not Queenstown. 
Well, it is, but it's not. There's more to Central Otago than that, so it's pretty good. You can get a job. Unemployment rate's 1.7, but the cost of housing's high. Fifth is Southland. Fourth is the West Coast. Third is Taranaki. Often forgotten, I think, Taranaki. But good. You just go, what's the sunshine hours like in West Coast? Uh, West Coast uh, sunshine hours not good. Uh, they come in fifth of eleventh actually, fifth out of the eleven regions, so about halfway. Sunnier than you think. Taranaki third, because of course you got the dairy and the oil, so there's money there. Second is Marlborough, which leaves where? You're thinking you're going through and going. Hang on. No, no, I know exactly where. Where? Waikato, right? Wrong. Oh. Wrong. Does that count as a metropolis, does it? I think it probably counts as a metropolis. The The place to live in this country, the best place in terms of GDP and sunshine, the cost of housing, what you can earn. Come on in, Timaru. Timaru. So if you're a copper teacher, or if you do road cones, why wouldn't you go live in Timaru? Great cost of living, plenty of sunshine, easy affordability of a house, and you can do whatever you want job-wise. Yeah. All those other places where regions, Timaru is a town. So how how does that compare, for a start? Also, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just don't believe the West Coast rainfall thing at all. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, and we all know everybody wants to live in Waikato. That's, that's as good as it gets. But obviously, it's just too... Built up and metropolis as I as I say, the city of the future. Right, let's um, finish up here. With, we had Wayne Brown this morning who uh, was, quote, pissed off, unquote, when you get stuck behind traffic control trucks. And it seems like everybody else is too. You're loving Wayne Brown. Go, Wayne. Brilliant. Stop them from having the three trucks per cone drop. Love that. Mike, couldn't agree more with Mayor Brown. Uh, I've been in the reading. I've been in the um, industry over 20 years, and he's dead right. Traffic management is way out of control. That extra $1 billion needed for the CRL is probably traffic management. Mike, drive Highway 3 from Tikawiti to Awakino. Five road workers in five different vehicles parked in positions of no significance for eight hours a day at $50 at 50,000 k per annum. That's a quarter of a million dollars for what? Mike, as gruff as Wayne Brown is, he's kind of refreshing as a straight-talking level head. Go, Wayne. Mike, Brown's onto it here. Swimming pool lifted into a backyard in Point Chev, which is an area of Auckland. Five trucks going up and down the road for half a day. It took 30 minutes to put the thing in. Just ridiculous. Mike, I sat as one of those stop-go road workers, uh, held traffic up for 15 minutes while he walked up the road for about 200 metres, lifted every cone and put them about 50 millimetres, then walked back doing exactly the same thing. Uh, before the traffic went, the large truck and trailer unit at the front of the queue was obviously pissed off because the driver hit every single cone. Never laughs. It happened to me in the country uh, last weekend. And the queue was a mile long. Guys at the front were literally moving the sandbags that held the signs on the side of the road. They were shifting the sandbags on the signs. And you had, and this was like on a Friday night, five or six o'clock. You couldn't have had more carnage on the road if you wanted. They're bastards. Really, really hope... Um, there's no serious accident involving a road worker in the next 24 to 48 hours. It's going to make Mike sound really bad there. Um, but given that I'm struggling to... I mean, I'm sure that it has happened that road workers have been run over and stuff, and that's why they have a lot of these rules and regulations about how many cones and trucks and how many things need to be you know, roped off and all the rest of it. But it does seem like it's got a little over the top. And I don't know if it is fully justified.
Oh, now I've said it now. Be careful out there, road workers, please. I'm not trying to get at you at all. I just hate cones. Because the, the annoying thing about cones is when they fall over, then they take up more space than a cone. They take up about four cones worth of space at that point, don't they? I'm Glenn ZB. That was the rewrap. Back here with more cone talk tomorrow, probably. It's all anybody ever wants to talk about. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.